Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, where we explore what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your co-host. And I'm Kyle Pietrantonio. Uh, today, we have the pleasure of talking with Sister Josephine Garrett, who is with the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Sister Josephine is a native Texan, born and raised in Houston, Texas. After graduating from the University of Dallas with a degree in political philosophy with a business concentration, she began a 10-year career in banking. Raised as a Baptist, uh, Sister entered the Catholic Church in 2005 and began her formation to become a religious sister in 2011. She made her vow final vows in 2020. I think you can already suspect that this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, Sister, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Sister Josephine, you know, as I told you before the program started, I'm a fellow convert, and I am always interested in how others came into the church. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey of becoming Catholic? Sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so I grew up Baptist. I, um, when it was time for me to go to college, I have very practical parents. And so they were like, just go. Um, they weren't super controlling about where and what major. Um, and so I saw this school and I remember the advertisement saying a school for independent thinkers. And I thought at the age of 18, I would love to be an independent thinker. <laughs> and so I enrolled at the University of Dallas. I did not know that it was Catholic. Um, so when I got there, it just, it just didn't occur to me how Catholic it was. So when I got there, I was very surprised. Uh, people were beautiful and like the community was very beautiful. And my family felt the same way when they visited, they were like, this is a great place to send your child to school. And so even my parents felt assured that it would be like a proper place for me to grow um, into an adult. And so um, I tell people that UD, University of Dallas, obviously made an impression on me. Um, so the semester in Rome made a huge impression on me. I just fell in love with Pope St. John Paul II. Um, when I listened to him, uh, really my heart would be on fire because we grew up going to church. And so I knew that he was talking about a, the God that I knew, like God as I knew him, but it was more. And so um, I 
joined a Latin liturgical choir. So that's like a Saturday Night Live skit, like a Baptist girl in a Latin liturgical choir. <laughs> but I loved it. Um, and then when I graduated from UD, um, a couple years after graduating, I just, I wasn't going to church much and was working and um, just kind of being a silly young adult and I missed God. And I was thinking about how I was raised and the women who raised me wanting to be like them. So I said, I need to go to church, but then I realized I missed the mass. And so this is really how I came, um, came to the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Sister, I'm assuming uh, when you were in your career in banking, that that was when you came into the Catholic church. Um, ultimately, how did you come to discern religious life? So it was, um, so when I was in banking, I really kind of, I became a workaholic. There's just no, I was going to try to say it fancy, but I'll keep it plain. I was a workaholic. <laughs> I was just dealing with, um, just dealing with all kinds of like struggles that come along with that, like not leading a balanced life. And I went to my boss and I said, I needed a break. And so she kind of said okay I want you to stay I was an operations manager at the time I had like a staff of 200 people and she wanted she didn't want to lose me but she was like you know what there's this project it's a temporary project go work on it and then I never came back to operations management I became a project manager when I got that space from you know moving away from being an operations manager I used that space to grow in my faith and so um, I took a trip back to Rome with that same choir, um, was able to be there as a Catholic, um, had a, an incredible confession. When I just poured my heart out to this priest and told him of all the things that I knew I was called to do, but wasn't even trying to do. And he only said two words to me. He said, just begin. And so um, I got a spiritual director, used the space I had in that different job um, to learn more about my faith, read Theology of the Body, started discerning with the spiritual director. And as he taught me to pray, um, I heard God calling me to religious life, specifically in, in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, so it was very shocking. I remember when it first entered my mind, I was like, who said that? Like, I was like, yeah. yeah. Well, now, uh, you could have gone Dominican, Benedictine, all different routes. How did you uh, discern for the sisters of uh, the Holy Family of Nazareth? Yeah, I just wasn't Catholic enough to even know about all that. And today I say thanks be to God. Uh, just because, well, when I listened to our older sisters, like our elderly sisters, they were not looking all over the world at all the different congregations to discern. Like they had faith in the circumstances that God had placed them in. And so they entered the communities that were before them, you know, so I think sometimes all of our resources can trip us up a little bit in the process of discernment. Um, so I just didn't know about all that. I didn't know of the trends of religious life. I didn't, I just wasn't that way. Um, so I knew that I could not get this life out of my mind. I felt kind of crazy because I didn't even know much about it. And in the midst of that, with my spiritual director, he was encouraging me to go visit sisters. And I was kind of thinking, I don't even know how to do that. And in the middle of all that, a new friend I had made 
who we were studying theology of the body together, she looked at me and she said, I visit these sisters all the time. I'm thinking of joining them. Would you like to come with me? Um, so that's how I met the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Um, and I ended up being her maid of honor in her wedding. <laughs> and I ended up staying with the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. So it wasn't until after I became an affiliate with the Sisters of Candidate that I did visit some other communities, some other charisms, you know, just to, but everywhere I went, I was like, okay, it's time to go home to Nazareth now. Um, our charism is about family spirit. So strengthening family life, which is important to me. And um, our community has as its mission to serve the needs of the church, however they are now. And so we put our gifts at the service of that. So we don't say we nurse, teach, or this. We say we're going to use our gifts to serve the present needs of the church, which speaks to me. That's kind of how I've always been. So Yeah. And then uh, what are you doing now? Now, I can say, before we started recording, Father, you and I were talking about all the things we never imagined we'd do, and so now I am a licensed counselor, and um, here in Tyler, Texas, at our cathedral grade school, I've been able to build a counseling program for the families in, through the school, and then I also serve in a private practice, um, adults in the community um, who may need counseling. Mm -hmm. Uh, sister, during your time uh, as a counselor at the cathedral school there in Tyler, uh, I'm guessing there's no doubt in your mind these past uh, 12 plus months now have been among the most unique and likely most challenging time uh, in your religious life and, and in your profession. Uh, we've had such a host of challenges and issues ranging from racial tension to the global pandemic to a highly polarized political climate. What has been your experience as a counselor among these challenges and, and the hardest adjustment uh, for you in your ministry? So I think the, the major thing that came up to the surface really quickly was, while it's important to have, because um, the way I've approached like our the ministry <laughs> is really like in a formative way. Like I'm looking at ways to um, form our kids and like equip our kids um, so as they grow. So instead of like reacting to issues, um, forming from a preventative perspective and having at that the foundation of our faith, right? Because I think that um, faith and, and mental health, they need to be <laughs> intertwined. And so <laughs> that was my focus. Like, how can we form these kids? But when the pandemic came up, I really had to shift my attention to a more family mindset and how can I support these parents who already have such great tasks as the domestic church and now even more, you know, like even more. Um, and, you know, their parents, they don't have degrees in this and this and that. And that. You know, they're raising these kids and all of these things are flying at their face. And so when the pandemic started, that's what rose to the top is the importance and the ministry of equipping parents as they live out the tasks entrusted to the domestic church. And so that really evolved in the ministry over the last year. And I continue to to look at the ministry in that way, like how can we continue to equip parents? I also felt like as political division and racial tension rose, 
and I really learned this from someone I share ministry with. His name is Dr. Ospino. He and I were talking about this and we recorded something for our parents the other day because I really wanted our parents to hear his perspective. But the middle is quiet and the extremes are loud. <laughs> and so most of our parents here, you know, they're they're in the middle, you know, they're in the middle <laughs> and they're trying to raise kids with these, when you talk about polarization, that automatically puts in our mind the image of a spectrum. And so it's those poles that are super loud. And meanwhile, you've got this distribution of domestic churches who sincerely want to raise saints like sincerely want to be equipped to live family life in a meaningful way. And they're just kind of like, where do I find myself in this um, feeling lost? And then as parents feeling lost, it's looking at the, their kids and it's like, how do I, if I'm lost, how do I help my kids, right? And so I just have a growing, you know, it's like a combination of a sensitive heart with mama bear heart. <laughs> growing for domestic churches kind of in that position like where do I find myself in this how can the church equip me so that I can find myself in this and also raise my kids in this so those are the things kind of over the last year that have risen to the top for me is how do I help these parents and these families find themselves in the midst of a lot of noise that actually doesn't speak to the experiences of their family life yeah, that's really a good perspective. I love the thought of that you have the two ends very loud and the middle very quiet. Do, do you see this as something that is going to permanently kind of uh, be imprinted into our ministries moving forward, whether it's in schools or parishes? I guess as you ask that question, I would say it would have to because our culture, so it's gotten so strong where the media is shaping culture and so the media loves the loud um, extremities. And so I think there does have to be a consideration in ministry to help um, help the mass, <laughs> right? Um, are the people in our pews, the people in our schools find themselves in that and root themselves in the gospel and not be rooted in the propaganda of the extremes. Um, and so, yeah, I think it could it probably will need to be like a focus of ministry um, so that we're not lost. Now, the other day, I, I happened to watch a video of you. Um, yeah, the uh, Our Sunday Visitor Institute. And uh, it was a wonderful video on, on discernment. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the Institute and about your whole presentation on discernment and how that came about. Sure. So our Sunday Visitor Institute, they have a focus on innovation in the church. And I, I know sometimes innovation can be one of those trigger words. Like, we're like, what do you mean by innovate? Like, you better not depart from the doctrine. <laughs> so like, there, um, Jason Shanks, who I believe is the president, he did a, his own talk. And he talks about how like innovation maybe is, is not necessarily a departure, but maybe in some cases like a return. But just to kind of look and see where do we need to adapt and change, like where are we called? And so the OSV Institute really has kind of made as its mission innovation in the church so that the needs of the needs of the church can be served um, effectively um, using our resources efficiently and effectively. 
<laughs> and so they decided to do 10 talks, like Catholic TED Talks, on topics that maybe could be looked at in a different way. And, you know, and so in that sense, that's the innovation aspect. Like, what are some topics that we probably could change our view of that would be helpful for us? Mm -hmm. So it's really exciting and the, everyone involved is very passionate about it. So for me being able to give one of those talks, it was inspiring for me to like encounter their passion. Mm -hmm. uh, Sister, in your talk, you shared an interesting insight that the Eucharist is the ultimate slow game. Yeah, that has been my experience. I know there's some people out there who like you receive the Eucharist rights and it's all better. That has not been my experience. <laughs> the Lord has had to work slowly with me. And just from my own perspective, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and so I think when I talked about that, there is this desire sometimes, especially when we're dealing with these these old school character defects, these old lingering sinful patterns that we were like, Lord, just fix it. You know, just fix it. Just take it away. And so, you know, it's like St. Paul. He's like, I begged so many times and, and you didn't take it away. And so when I look back from like that first time I received the Blessed Sacrament until now, I can only say that the Eucharist is the ultimate slogan. And so sometimes it feels like nothing is changing, but like when I look back over my relationship with the Eucharistic Lord, much has changed, but over, but slowly and over time and like with encounter, with encounter, with encounter in the sacraments. And so it's just the ultimate slogan. <laughs> it's just the ultimate. And again, I don't know that I would want it any other way because, um, God willing, when it comes time, God willing, and my my will too, acting right. When it comes time to go to heaven, um, I'll be at home because we had this long, enduring relationship in the Eucharist. So, sister, that'd make for a great title of your future memoir. The long game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I th I think in a day of quick fixes and instant gratification, that's a really good thing for all of us to remember. Yeah. Yeah, because it can be. And I think, you know, one of the things that being a counselor has taught me, and I was talking with a friend about this the other day, that um, there's spaces that we have where we'll, we'll have graces that we don't have other places in our life. So when I'm in a counseling room with a client, I just have this grace of positive regard for them and so you know they can tell me the wildest thing they got themselves into and outside of the room i'd be like you did what you know <laughs> and in the counseling room there's just this ability to hold um hold a positive regard and so i think with quick fixes you know i wonder if it's because we just have a hard time sitting in the pain of whatever it is we're dealing with and so we would just love a quick fix um not because we're inherently lazy and not because we inherently don't desire the good, but because it can be hard to sit in our, um, sit with our character defects and our struggle with sin. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I really want to encourage our, our listeners and our viewers to go ahead and look up these Institute talks and to watch yours. Cause I, there were so many, so many good things that you were saying and you had these little nuggets like, you know, the Eucharist is the ultimate slow game. The one that really intrigued me was uh, you were talking about, we're not in a personal relationship with God, but we are, we are a personal relationship with God. Could you explain that a little bit? 
Yes, I stole that from something I read from <laughs> Barrett. So I stole it and it just never left me. Like it took my breath away to realize that like, it's not my possession. Like my relationship with God isn't my possession. I don't have it. It is literally who I am. And like, um, so I am a relationship. I am this like ongoing, constant encounter. And if that wasn't who I am, I wouldn't exist. Like, so for me to even draw the breath I just drew, there had to be relationship between God and I. So like my existence is predicated on him giving me my breath. <laughs> and so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it goes to, as St. Paul talks about, in that we all consist in him. I mean, if God just let go of it, it would all just be gone. Yeah. So in that, in that sense, we, we are linked in a unique relationship with our creator. And it makes self-sufficiency almost ludicrous. I remember sitting once at a, at a, a college graduation. It was like a, pub, a really large public college graduation. And they had a very famous speaker. He's like an athlete and a celebrity. And he's very famous. And you know, the stadium's full of people. And he gets up there and he says that he's a self-made man. And everybody's listening. And I'm looking around like, yep. <laughs> Does anybody feel like this is ridiculous except me? <laughs> and it's like, it's just like nonsensical. Like, because for him to even ascend the steps of the stage, he needed favor from God. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sister, a lot of Follow to Lead's audience are those uh, in the trenches of Catholic education um, ministry, like yourself. Um, I'd like to just talk a bit about your work as a counselor in a Catholic school, um, someone who's working with young people each and every day. What are you seeing right now as your the greatest concerns um, and greatest hopes uh, for the next generation of young people in the church? So the greatest, the greatest concerns, um, yeah, so the greatest concerns I would say right now in working with young people is um, how, um, how aspects of the culture, contrary to our faith, how deeply they like are infiltrating their sense of self, of the world, and of relationships. It's very deep. Um, and so I think that we can't underestimate um, how deep-seated some of that is. And so there are things that they understand at very young ages um, that are not are not of our faith, and yet there's basic concepts of the faith that they don't understand. And so you can see how like um, permeated their um, formation has become with the world. And so I think we just can't underestimate that. And so I'm just so grateful to our administration, our principal, that they would want a program like the one we're trying to do through the counseling 
program because it's it is formative and we actually take like a grade school theology of the body christian anthropology thing you know and i'm playing with the first graders and saying like if i walk out the room and hop back in and i say i'm a dragon am i a dragon and they're like no and i'm like well how do you know i said i'm a dragon i feel like a dragon in my heart and they're like and they say well because you don't look that way so i'm like so my body is telling you something about who i am and they say, yes. And I say, well, who, who gave me this body? And they say, God. They say, so God decides who I am? Yes, you know? And so I think that's, I just don't think we can underestimate the challenge. And in working with kids, when you just hear the things that kind of fly out of their mouths, you can see how, what a good job mainstream culture has done in forming their consciences from a very young age. And so the task ahead of us to try to um, to try to really take back that authority given to the domestic churches to form. And then as Catholic educators, Catholic schools, people who've been in certain Catholic schools, we have a term we call in counseling where we join, where you join with the family and um, move forward in that effort with them. And from a counseling perspective, that word join is very deep. Like you truly enter and become a part and try to figure out their dance and in a sense become a member. Um, so it's a deep joining that is an invitation and a challenge to Catholic school ministry um, to really to really do that. Uh, the greatest hope is I just see Catholic schools as being like the place where this can happen. You know, like if we can really, and in some cases, in some dioceses, we got a lot of resources in these Catholic schools. Some are super poor, but some we got a lot of resources. Um, so yeah, just especially like when I have I've kind of been learning East Texas and I'm a Texan and I tell people East Texas is still like another country. <laughs> and I grew up in Texas. Like sometimes I don't even, the accent is so different. I don't even know what people are saying to me. I'm like, what did you just say? And so, but what I've noticed here in East Texas is I've listened to this community. The gifts are tremendous among the families in the schools. It's just how do we bring all that to the table in the right way, um, encourage people in their gifts to like bring them to the community and share them. Um, so I think what we need is here. That's who God is. God's not gonna leave us without what we need. It's just how do we respond um, in a way that we can see what he's provided for us. And in a lot of cases, it's joining families together, like accessing the resources in a community. Um, so yeah, there's great hope. And I think particularly in Catholic schools as a place where this can happen. Mm -hmm. that, that does put a lot of pressure on the teachers though, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, what do you see, What are as you look at the teachers around you, what are their needs? What what do Catholic teachers need, do you think, to just continue to keep moving and fighting the good fight, so to speak? Just continued encouragement. I mean, in our school, we have, I, I tell people that I just, I'm always telling people, I'm amazed with the faculty that I work with, and I'm amazed how they bounce back in this year. Like, I mean, when schools shut down, they just figured it out in under a week. They just figured out distance learning. Um, so we've got, and that was not only happening here in Tyler, it was happening across 
you know, Catholic schools all over the country. And so you see that like, we're not short on hardworking, innovative people. We don't have a shortage of that. Um, I do think though, like educating the educators is a big thing. I think a big, a big gap, I'll be honest, like a big practical gap that it's my desire to fill here is um, providing for families with children who have special needs like mental health diagnoses that make it um, make learning different. Um, so I think like educating our teachers in those areas, like learning differences so that we can welcome more families, um, you know, families who have those children. So our teachers, I think educating our educators is probably a, a big thing, but also continuing to like just offer them praise and encouragement for the ways that they are already amazing um, because th they are and you can just see that in the way that people adapted so quickly in the last year mm -hmm. as as one who is not just a counselor but one in in religious life um do you see um the areas of needing to freshen their souls uh in specific ways as being important in terms of the teachers? I think the only thing, you know, it's not, as you're asking the question, I'm kind of thinking about it now for the first time. And so I can tell you the first thing that pops in my mind is to like form for mission. Um, so, you know, the, a teach, as a teacher, it's a profession, um, but as a, a teacher, well, any teacher, not even just in a Catholic school, it's a mission. And so maybe some of that, maybe that could be some of the innovation is like approaching the training of a teacher, like um, being formed in, in the sense of a mission. So like as a religious sister, nine years of my formation was like, what is the mission of Nazareth? And how do I look at everything that I do from that lens of mission? And like that mission was entrusted to us in our charism, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so this really does kind of change um, everything. And I think we can't be shy about teaching our staff to pray, uh, <laughs> teaching them to pray, um, because a big part of like discerning what's going on from a mission perspective, that's a lot of that's done in prayer. So, Sister, uh, the Diocese of Tyler uh, has been in the National Catholic uh, spotlight of late uh, for the plans to create uh, a, a real intentional lay community called Veritas Splendor um, that Bishop Strickland uh, has authorized. Um, uh, and I'd like to just get any insights you might have as, as someone in that area about the plans for this community. Yes, uh, Veritati Splendor. I think it's got a relationship with that Catholic homeschool hybrid, Regina Chaley. So there's a relationship there. And so it's just another, it's going to be another resource here for domestic churches. <laughs> and so um, it's they have a very ambitious plan. It's just so ambitious. And so I'll be curious how it, you know, how it unfolds because um, there's a lot of work ahead of them, but they do, from what I understand so far, it is like, how can we equip domestic churches um, to raise saints, uh, to raise saints? And so, again, it, 
I'm, I'm for that, like having options in the Catholic community to meet the needs of the families in their tasks of the domestic church. Um, and so their Tachi Splinter would be a unique offering in addition to the offerings of our Catholic schools um, because it's a, it's a rural diocese here. And so we have Catholics way, way out from the main city who don't have access to Catholic education at all. And so something like a Regina Chaley might give them access to Catholic education um, where they otherwise would not have had it. And so um, <clears throat> resources come into the diocese to equip our families. I'm supportive of what I know of Veritachi Splinter so far living here. It's, it's a pretty um, ambitious overall plan. And I'm not sure which parts they're launching first. Like I know there was, it looks like first would be to build a church, like a place of prayer um, prior to education aspects, but I'm, I'm not very close to it. Um, but it definitely, yeah, it's been in the news. It was even in the local news here. Um, and I think again, because they, when they launched, they really shared their full vision. And so that's very exciting when you see the long-term vision. Um, so it did make it make a lot of news, but I see it as just another resource for families if that's what fits their family. This, uh, this seems like it could have a lot of national implications, both in terms of people coming there to receive, but also a duplicating of it in other dioceses elsewhere. So kind of how part, you're seeing it there? I think that's part of the vision. And I do think that there are some people before even that, you know, because our bishop makes the news often too. And I love him. He's just, he's saying the news. And so, uh, but I love it. He speaks, you know, he speaks into silence. And sometimes we need to do that. And sometimes when we speak into silence, we make a mistake and we hit a live wire. Uh, but we can say, oops, and keep speaking into silence. Um, so I'm just supportive of that tendency with him. Um, but so already with um, having a shepherd who would speak in a lot of places where there was silence, it was attracting families to the diocese um, because families are getting serious about finding a place where they can be accompanied um, in, in raising their church. And so that was already happening. And I think with Veritachi Splendor being an option, there are families coming as well to hope to be a part of that as it grows. You know, um, one of the things that's happened recently as we look toward the future, uh, the National Catholic Education Association put out some fairly dire statistics uh, concerning where uh, Catholic education is right now. And, uh, you know, there's that old adage, demographics are our destiny. Um, but and as we move forward, do you, you know, as you look at this whole situation, uh, both from a counselor standpoint and also that someone involved in Catholic education, what advice would you give to Catholic school leaders who are in the trenches right now as we look at our current situation and we need to move toward tomorrow? Um. I feel anxious because as you ask questions, I'm like, I'm just going to offer you my first thought, but my first mind might be totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's my first mind. And as you were asking the question, what came to my mind, I was on the phone with one of my college roommates not long ago, and we were talking about Catholic education, and she's one of those parents. She has five children. She and her husband have five children, and she's Catholic, and um, 
she's one of those, they are the type of family where they discern per child per year about the education plan. So they have some children in school, some at home, some doing hybrid things. They just, each child's in a different thing, depending on that child, depending on the year. And so she and I were talking about Catholic education and you said, she said, you know, I'm getting this mail from these Catholic schools and they're like stem this and stream that and, you know, all of the hip hop language, you know, that's coming from the other schools. And she said, that is not why I'm going to come to that Catholic school because I can get stream and stem and this and that everywhere else. The only thing I cannot get anywhere else is Catholic formation. And she was like, that is what it comes down to. That's what I want to know that you, you have to offer. And so I think I want to embolden leaders in Catholic education to not tuck away our Catholic faith at the hopes that it will boost enrollments in a time where enrollments are dropping so far. I think it would actually be the opposite. Like to be bold would not only attract Catholics, would probably attract some non-Catholics too, because integrity is getting harder and harder to find. <laughs> well said, sister. Yeah, she's singing our song, I think, don't you, Kyle? <laughs> oh, that that is the hymnal uh, that DIA sings from for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kyle, anything else that you want to uh, bring up today with Sister? This uh, has been really a this, delightful conversation. Uh, yes, yeah, Sister. It was a real treat uh, to talk with you today. I, I hope we can have you come to one of our school's summits in the fall sometime. I think you would you would gain a lot from it and, and have a lot to offer and share uh, with Catholic school leadership teams from across the country. So I uh, uh, hope uh, you can make that happen uh, at some point. Uh, our next one's in Nashville, October 20th to the 22nd. Um, so our website, diaschools.org, uh, has, has more information about that. Uh, but you and members of your team would be welcome uh, uh, to come. I know Bishop Strickland has visited uh, one DIA school uh, here in Atlanta and took some notes back to him with him to Tyler, Texas. So I know he's a big fan of, uh, of our approach. So I think he'd be well supported. Um, and, uh, uh, but it's been a real pleasure uh, meeting you uh, today on, on Follow to Lead. I will love that. I will I will see at some point when I can take you up on that invitation because I'm like I'm new in Catholic schools and so I'm still learning. So I would just um it would enrich me absolutely to be able to come to that. Yeah, I think you'd find many people of the same heart and same perspective. And I think it'd be a, a great time for for the, there to be just great relationship building, that's for sure. Sister, thank you so much. This has been a delight today to have you with us. And I know uh, from the Institute videos and other things going on, you've, you're getting busier and busier and busier. And I just want to thank you for just carving out some time to just hang out with us here on this uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to meet you. You have a beautiful story, Father. I'm just... I'm not going to forget this. Thank you. Oh, well, either are we. This has been really delightful. And... Uh, to all of our viewers and listeners, we just really want to, again, encourage you uh, to continue uh, to subscribe to our podcast, leave comments, encourage us uh, as we continue our future programming. And as we conclude, we also want to give thanks to our production interns, John Sampson and Alex Shire, uh, along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Osbach, for producing this podcast. And may Almighty God bless you. 
we'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.